what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. internet travelers welcome once again to the before and after show after a week-long hiatus i'm still your host mj smith and i was gone being an adult for a while um just so you guys know and to keep the emotional contract we have just know that the next couple months maybe till the middle of november are going to be a little uh they might be a little light here and there um certain weeks because I'm getting married, and so I have to go run around doing a bunch of adulting. So I'm still going to be releasing episodes, hopefully weekly if possible. If not, uh, certainly know that it's not because I've given up. It's just because I'm betrothed. And uh, that means that likely you won't be getting an episode for the new James Bond movie Spectre as it comes out the weekend of my marriage. So... What are you going to do? Um, I'm more excited for my wedding than I am Spectre, so there's your before, and uh, I will let you know what I think after. Um, before I jump into the movies I'm going to be doing this week, uh, I've been watching a lot of stuff, and I want to talk about mm, a handful of them. My dad had a birthday recently, and one of the things my father and I like to do is watch biopics. Now, uh, I know all biopics are the same. But I love them, and I think there's a nostalgia that I have connected to watching them with my dad, and that's probably why I love them. So on his birthday, we watched a biopic we hadn't seen yet, and that was Get On Up, the James Brown movie starring Chadwick Boseman and a guy whose name escapes me, and uh, Dan Aykroyd, of all people. So as a movie, Get On Up doesn't really work uh, that much. It's... It's a biopic that's told non-linearly, and it's very strange to have that happen. Um, A lot of times you jump to a different year and the movie doesn't tell you, so you have no idea where in James Brown's life you really are, and it's kind of weird. All that to be said, this movie is incredibly well acted. Um, Chadwick Boseman is a really good James Brown. He got the dance moves down. He got the voice down, which means you can't understand James Brown for a lot of the movie. But that's okay because uh, that's how James Brown talks. So I am uh, on board the hype train for Black Panther right now because of Chadwick Boseman. I will also say that the guy... I have to look him up because he's so good. The guy who plays Bobby Bird, Nelson Ellis, is fantastic. And I want to see him start showing up in way more things than I've seen him in. Apparently, I've seen a couple things with him in it, but not a lot. So, yeah, it's a, it's despite its um, narrative shortcomings, it uh, it's really good. Uh, performance-wise. I wouldn't say you should watch it necessarily based on how strong the performances are. The movie's really long, and because it's non-linear, it's very, uh, it feels very slow. It feels very, uh, 
drawn out because it feels like events take forever to resolve since you're jumping around them. So it, it feels like you're watching that movie for like six hours and it's, it's long already. It's two hours and 20 minutes. So, um, that's get on up. Uh, I also watched ex machina, which is that movie about the Elon Musk type billionaire guy who, um, builds a robot and he brings in one of his top programmers to help test it to see if it will pass the Turing test, which is if you can interact with it and forget you're interacting with a machine. And that was really interesting. I I know it's popped up a lot lately. A lot of people who are super into any movies have been talking about it. And I totally understand why. I mean, uh, it's super well acted. First of all, it's got Domino Gleason, who you guys will recognize from the upcoming Star Wars movie. And Oscar Isaac, who you guys will recognize from the upcoming Star Wars movie. Um, They're both in it. They're the two main guys in it. And the woman who plays uh, Ex Machina, I forget her name. But she's very good in it, acting like a robot hybrid lady. Um, It's well acted. And Oscar Isaac, I think, is one of the best young actors working today. That being said, I don't think he should be in Star Wars. And the reason why is because he has a very... um, naturalistic vibe about him he feels very very he feels very natural and very subdued in his performances and he uh he seems like like his acting style won't translate very well into star wars um donald gleason i think can can kind of ride the line a little bit better he was kind of over the top in the movie frank but i feel like there's a certain bigness to the acting that you have to uh you have to embody when you're in like a Star Wars or an X-Men like Oscar Isaac is going to be that I don't see in him. And I'm not sure if I, if he tries to do that, if he'll be any good at it because he's so natural. Like he feels very comfortable in a role and it feels just like a person that exists. But for these larger than life movies, you're kind of supposed to be aware of the fact that they don't exist. I feel like Um, he is a really good actor. He's great in this movie. He's a D-bag and he plays a D-bag in Inside Llewyn Davis, and he's great in that, even though I don't like that movie either. Ex Machina ends super dark, and I loved it. I, it for two reasons. One, it felt very earned, the darkness of the ending, but also it committed to the darkness of its ending. Um, and by that, I mean, you see a lot of movies that start to go to a very dark place and at the last second they pull back and and they 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 soften the blow a little bit and ex machina doesn't even soften the blow it follows through hard on the punch it gives you and it works very well it's super dark and people probably won't like that and that's probably why you see a lot of movies that do have that uh Oh, we're getting dark. Oh, just kidding. We weren't going to do that to you. But this one does, and I really like that. Most of the time when I see a movie headed that way, I like it to head that way. And the reason I like that is because I think predictability is uh, underrated. If you look at something like Breaking Bad, that ended the way everyone thought it was going to end. Nothing crazy happens at the end of Breaking Bad. There's not a twist. There's not a big reveal about... 
some character, everything just ends as naturally as it feels. And so when you start heading in this dark direction, it feels natural for it to end dark, and then you pull back, and then it seems like a very unnatural ending. And so that's what I mean by this movie feels earned in its dark ending. It, it knows that it's headed to a dark ending, and it commits to that. And I think more movies need to do that, because I think it's kind of killing the, the medium, to be perfectly honest. That being said, I also watched... The Visit this week. Now, this was going to be a uh, a new episode of the show, but I didn't have time to record it, so I'll talk about it here. Um, I went with my fiancé to see The Visit on Monday night, and it's good. It's a good movie. It's not great. It's not uh, game-changing. It's not uh, uh, particularly scary or thrilling. Um, I, well, I guess thrilling would be a word I would use to describe it, but it's it's not an instant classic. It's a good movie. It's a solid movie. It's the beginning of what I hope is a comeback for M. Night Shyamalan. Now, in in the um, weeks leading up to this movie, I was asked by several people what my thoughts on M. Night Shyamalan were. Obviously, he's got this new movie coming out. Obviously, I'm the guy with the movie podcast, so people would want to know. Here's what I think about M. Night Shyamalan. This is the official MJ take on... Uh, uh, the new Hitchcock himself, and that is we're 100% responsible for why he made the movies he made. And by that I mean this guy made one movie and we called him the next Hitchcock. Think about that for a second. Think about the field you're in and think about the best person the most highly regarded person in the field you're in, and if after your first month on the job, someone looked at you and said, you're the next that person. That's too much pressure to put on a new director. He made one movie, and that movie is great. It still holds up. I haven't seen it in a few years, but I watched it maybe three years ago, and I remember thinking... I fully expected this movie to not hold up, and it totally holds up. It's a really good movie. But he made one movie, and we said this guy is the next Hitchcock. That's nuts! You can't say that after just one movie. Anyone's gonna screw up everything they do from that point forward with that kind of pressure on them, because now you've set an unrealistic expectation on them, and they feel the need to hit that. Well, the visit is not at all about grandparents who like to stab children. The visit is about a director who had a ton of pressure put on him by the general public, failed to live up to it because of course he did. The general public turned their back on him and he is finally coming to terms with it 16 years later. 16 years after the fact. It took him 16 years to process this Put it on the screen and tell us how he really felt about it. And it's really good when that movie does that. Um, everything about this movie is subtext, subtext, subtext. And the reason it's a horror movie is because this guy's life was a nightmare for 16 years. Especially after people started falling away from liking him after signs. Like I feel like I feel like the progression was everyone thought The Sixth Sense was great. Most people thought Unbreakable was great. Most people thought Signs was good, but not great. Most people didn't like The Village that much. 
Everyone hated Lady in the Water. Everyone hated The Happening even more. Everyone hated The Last Airbender even more than The Happening or Lady in the Water. And then the studio wouldn't even trust him to put his name on his last movie that starred Will Smith and his son, which are, you know, regardless of how you feel about them now, they're bankable. They put butts in seats and they were working for a director that the studio didn't feel comfortable putting on the movie. They let the producer do all the press for After Earth. That's the trajectory of this guy's career. So he left for about a year, got in with Jason Bloom, who I've talked about uh, at great length on this show, which I think I think Bloom is doing good work. Uh, I think he's doing important work for the future of cinema. And Bloom's whole philosophy is $3 million or less. If we can make this movie for $3 million, you can go make it. And so oftentimes that means a lot of horror and thriller movies. And so the visit is M. Night Shyamalan working on a micro budget, putting a restriction on himself because it's a found footage movie and operating within those parameters. And it just goes to show that when this guy has limits, he knows how to use them. And the thing is, we called him the next Hitchcock. We let him do whatever he wanted. And it got out of hand because he had, it got too big for him to carry. He, this is a small movie. It's a personal movie. It's a really good movie. Everything's condensed about the Shyamalan-ness of it. And what he's done is he's made it a found footage movie. And the main character who's, who's filming the movie is an aspiring filmmaker. So he gets to explain it's the best meta I've seen in, gosh, I don't know how long. Maybe since 22 Jump Street, probably. Um, he lets... He lets that character explain what he's doing in just the jargon of cinema. And it's great. And it's funny. And it works. And it's a horror comedy. And there's a lot of good jokes in it. There's a big, dumb button at the end of this movie. Um, so Shyamalan has this reputation as the guy who has a big twist or a big reveal at the end of his movies. And this movie has a reveal at the end of it. Because you need to know what's going on with the grandparents, you find out something about the grandparents. And I knew what that was going into the movie. I got it spoiled for me, or I spoiled it for myself, probably the second if you really want to be honest about it. And on paper, it sounds really stupid. It doesn't sound like it's going to work at all. And the entire movie, I was watching it, with the knowledge of what was going on with the grandparents. So I had a completely different viewing experience than anyone in the group I went with. And I was also watching it going, okay, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. But this entire movie working hinges on how well he handles that reveal. And he handles it just subtly enough to where it feels like a moment but not big enough to where it feels like the whole movie hinges on that. And the scene after you find out what's going on with the grandparents up through uh, the kids leaving the grandparents' house, spoilers, they make it out of the grandparents' house, is some of the darkest stuff I've ever seen M. Night Shyamalan tackle, including the kid who sees dead people. It's so messed up, I can't believe the movie's rated PG-13 because of it, to be perfectly honest. And it, to get to that ex machina point I was making, the movie should have ended there, but it didn't. There's a big dumb button on the end of this movie that's a this very saccharine, sweet-natured, emotional uh, catharsis that I didn't need in this movie, but 
Then it was pointed out to me that M. Night Shyamalan, for the sake of the movie, is not the director of this movie. The little girl is. And so this movie is the little girl's cut of the events that took place when they went to spend a week with grandma and grandpa. So the big dumb button is exactly how a teenager who doesn't really understand that you can earn a dark ending and leave it there. I didn't realize that for a long time as as a budding like film person. I felt like all the heroes had to win all the time. And uh, I would argue that the heroes do win in this movie, but there's an aftermath that you you know that if the movie would have ended where I wanted it to end, you would have been stuck with this <sighs> gross feeling about the aftermath of what uh, was about to come for these characters. The movie takes place after they've gotten through all the aftermath of it, and, and they're kind of like back to normal. And all of this serves this great subtextual purpose where M. Night Shyamalan realizes that he's been hated by the general public. He realizes why he's been hated by the general public. He realizes that we're the ones who did this to him. And he comes to terms with it. And he's just okay with it. But he addresses the depression he felt. I mean, we put this guy through hell. And there are still people who won't see a movie uh, that has his name attached to it. And you're dumb if you're one of those people. Straight up, that's a terrible, terrible philosophy when it comes to film viewing. You should give every director, uh, with the exception of Uwe Boll, uh, a chance when they... Each movie is a clean slate, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I was, when I was going to do an episode on this, I was going to be watching After Earth. I haven't seen After Earth. I don't want to see After Earth. I'm positive it's terrible. But, especially someone who we know can do good work. We've seen M. Night Shyamalan prove himself a few times as a filmmaker. So we know there's something good in him. And so... So watching uh, that that whole thing unravel was really sad for me because he did show a lot of promise, but we put too much on him when he started to show flourishes of promise. This is a new M. Night Shyamalan. He's got a lot of promise. I hope he hovers in the genre for a while uh, of horror comedy or very limited, very small, very personal movies because he, this is the best movie. I think this is his best movie. Straight up, I think that this is his best movie. I think he understands uh, the the trappings of what he's working with. I think he understands how to um, how to write for this kind of, of of genre. I think he understands what makes it work, and I think he does some really cool stuff in the confines of this movie. A lot of the scares take place in the middle of the day. That's insane. Most horror movies take place at night. There's the craziest, craziest, craziest stuff all happens at night. And that's fine. It's a horror movie. That's how it's supposed to work. But he gets some legitimately creepy things that happen in the middle of the day by using the space that they're in. He puts the kids in a confined space and some scary stuff goes down with the grandma. And then he plays it for a joke immediately after it happens. The movie constantly keeps you on your toes where you're like, is this going to be a joke or a scare? Is this going to be a scare that turns into a joke or a joke that turns into a scare? What's going to happen? And he does that very well. It seems like he's got... uh, 
more energy than he's ever had. There's a there's a lightness to this movie. There's a snappiness to it. Um, that's the first time I haven't snapped when I said snappiness about a movie. There's there's just more life in this movie than any movie he's ever made. Um, the kids are kind of bright. They're they're kind of they're not super mopey like all the kids he's he's written in the past. You know, they're funny and they interact with each other and they're dumb and silly and goofy and awkward and ridiculous and they're going through these like super awkward teenage years and. And he doesn't necessarily write them great. Uh, it still very much feels like a pretentious 45-year-old man is writing them, because he is. But they're, the kids are so good in this movie that they make up for it. They rise to or stoop down to the level of the dialogue that's created for them. They sell you on it, uh, especially because they're both Australian. And uh, I have an ear for whether or not an accent drops, and no accent dropping here. Super impressed with this movie. Um, it also does one of these, this is a little thing, but it does this thing that I really, really like in a horror movie. It opens on these, it's it's a total Sam Raimi move. And uh, it, basically all the title cards are just these like giant, aggressive, bold red letters that immediately convey a sense of unease. Like from the get-go, you get a little intro, a little prologue, and then, boom, giant red aggressive letters. And it's great. Um, and and so the subtitles for each day also do that. Um, yeah, there's... Oh, man, The Visit was, was a blast. Uh, it's not great. Remember, it's not a great movie. It's a good movie. But it, it, it represents something for M. Night Shyamalan that makes me excited. And that's why I liked it. Um, if you're on the fence about him... I don't know. I feel like this is a very divisive movie. You either buy into it and it works, or you don't and you're real confused. Um, and then you end up hating it. So, uh, yeah. And also, I would say this movie almost begs to be watched twice if you don't know what the twist or the reveal is. Um, because I knew what it was, and a lot of people were scared in parts where I was giggling. Because if you know what's going to happen, and you watch the movie, there's a lot of scary moments that become hilarious. And so it's almost like two completely different viewing experiences. Even if you're one of those people who calls the movie at the beginning, which I never believe that you do, even if you're one of those people, you you don't have concrete proof. So to, to go back and watch it, you know, you can watch the whole movie with this uh, idea of like, oh, I think this is what's going on. But once you have the concrete proof of whether or not you were wrong, go back and watch it again and see if those play those moments play out hilarious or still scary to you. Um, you know, I found myself giggling in a row full of people who were just terrified. Yeah, go see The Visit. It's a good time. I don't know. I liked it a lot. Uh, all the old people are really good in it. All the kids are really good in it. It's it's uh, it's some of the best acting M. Night's been able to bring out in his actors in a long time. I just hope he... I hope him and... I hope this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship between M. Night Shyamalan and Jason Bloom. Uh, I'll be right back, and we will talk about the movies we were going to talk about this week. All right. And we're back. Did you miss me? I missed you. So you missed me.
So this week we're going to be taking a look at the new movie Black Mass starring Johnny Depp and a bunch of other people who don't have a Boston accent but will be trying for one. Um, And we'll also be looking at the 1994 question mark Tim Burton film Ed Wood. Uh, Obviously I chose that because Johnny Depp is an Ed Wood and also because a lot of people think that... um, Black Mass is shaping up to be Johnny Depp's best performance of his career. And before that, I've heard many, many people talk about Ed Wood as his best performance of his career. Johnny Depp is the M. Night Shyamalan of acting, wouldn't you say? Um, He's been more consistent, I would say, but he's also had a longer career. Um, He's obviously bankable. He puts butts in seats, uh, sometimes inexplicably. Sometimes he's had a few misses. Mordecai happened early this year, and nobody saw that movie. He's he's a very interesting... uh, person as 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 an actor um not personally we don't talk about that kind of stuff on the show as an actor he's had a very uh peaks and valleys type of career um you know i i don't feel like anyone has a definitive hatred for him i know people some people have an undying love for him and that's weird but i i I don't think anyone straight up hates him to the point of not liking any movie he's in i think everyone has at least one johnny depp movie and one johnny depp performance that they like um, I have several. My f- personal favorite is um, Benny and June, where he plays a Buster Keaton type, uh, socially awkward guy, um, a sort of proto hipster. Uh, I like that movie quite a bit. It's been a long time since I've seen it, so maybe uh, the sensitive teenager in me uh, is just coming out, and and that's fine. Uh, that's that's probably. My favorite uh, Johnny Depp performance, though. I like that movie a lot. I think it's super watchable. And, I mean, you've got Adrian Quinn and Oliver Platt in it. How how much more 90s can you get? I've never seen Ed Wood. This is a collaboration he had with Tim Burton. Tim Burton, also a very storied career. Also a very divisive guy. um, But also a guy much like Johnny Depp as a director. You know, there are people who have an undying love for him, and uh, I don't necessarily get that, though I do try to see every Tim Burton movie. But I don't think there's anyone that has a hatred for him so much that they don't like all of his movies. I think people have a, have at least one Tim Burton movie that they even kind of like. Um, and I understand, like, he's not for everyone. He's got a very specific style, and I think that's what helps him and what hurts him. I think it's his greatest strength and his greatest weakness as a director. He's got a very distinct style. If you know the College Humor video uh, that they did a few years ago, you'll know exactly what the, I'm talking about. Uh, it's one of my favorite videos on the internet. You know, I think I think because he's got a very specific style... It works because he's not trying to please everyone all the time. However, because he's not trying to please everyone all the time, he tends to kind of try to please everyone in his fan base all the time, and it's, as of late, been a little bit pandery. But I think he goes through these, like, weird peaks and valleys in his career, too, where he does this, like... He gets on this run of, like, crazy Johnny Deppness, and then he hits with Big Fish. And then he gets on this run of, like, whatever the hell he did after Big Fish. And then he hits with Big big Eyes. He likes, he likes resetting himself with movies that start with the word big and have two words in the title. Um, I haven't seen Big Eyes. It's one of the only Tim Burton movies in recent memory that I haven't seen. I'd like to. Um, I think it's an interesting story. I, I, I'd be interested to see why he chose to do that movie. My favorite Tim Burton movie is Big Fish. It plays just enough into his sensibilities for him to sell it, but it's so different from him because it's a, it's got a lighter tone and, and 
more often than it doesn't have a darker tone and it's very hopeful and romantic and sweet natured and it's a great father-son story um it's just it's a good movie about storytelling and it's emotional and and i like it i like that movie a lot ewan mcgregor in no small part has a lot to do with that um which is why i said in no small part yeah that's 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 my favorite uh tim burton movie um and I think a lot of people cite it as one of his best movies. Uh, however, I think Ed Wood is the one they cite as his best movie. And Ed Wood is a biopic about, well, Ed Wood. And more specifically, it's about a specific period of time in Ed Wood's life. And that period of time is while he was making uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space. So here's a little background on Ed Wood. Ed Wood is a, the, the king of schlock. He is the B-movie director's favorite B-movie director. Um, he is known for making not good movies, and he is fine with making not good movies, or so we thought. So he started work on this movie called Plan 9 from Outer Space. Plan 9 from Outer Space is often regarded as one of the best worst movies of all time. Um, it's, it's one of those cult classic touchstones where if you like a bad movie, you have to start with plan nine from outer space it's the uh it's the gateway into this world uh i think troll 2 has kind of usurped it but i think um plan nine is is still very much in second place to it uh if not kind of always jockeying for first i've seen plan nine but i've only seen it the the live riff tracks version and to be perfectly honest i think that's the only way i'm going to watch that movie is with riff tracks because man it is bad uh, Plan 9, best I remember, it's been quite a few years since I've seen it. Plan 9 deals with a uh, group of aliens who come to Earth uh, looking to enslave us, but also Dracula's there for some reason. And it's just got a lot of the a lot of the B-movie tropes we come to know and love are because of uh, Ed Wood's direction of Plan 9 from Outer Space. Just the, the crappy reusing of shots, the crappy reusing of, of sets and uh people who don't know how to act and the boom getting in the way of the camera all the time and um you know this was a fairly uh plagued production particularly because the guy playing dracula bella lugosi who was famous for playing dracula died while they were filming the movie and they had to finish production with uh i think it was a stunt double who instead of showing his face just did that um that uh vampire move where he keeps his cape over his face the whole time but then they also just reuse a bunch of shots of that guy walking around the same field it's nuts this movie's nuts and so ed wood the movie uh not the man uh the movie ed wood takes place during the filming of that um it's also pretty well documented that ed wood had a penchant for dressing up in lady clothes don't know what that's about but we'll find out um it's a very well respected movie because it's uh, it shot in black and white in 1994. I feel like that's the wrong year for it. It's shot in black and white in 1994. Um, it feels very much of the period. I think it got nominated for some awards that season. It's a very um, restricted performance, or it's a very over-the-top performance by Johnny Depp, but also uh, he's playing a real man. And uh, as we'll talk about in a second, I think when he plays real people, it kind of grounds him a little bit more. It lets him be over the top, but kind of grounds his humanity a little bit. Um, Tim Burton, I think when he tells uh, stories that are specifically focused on just sort of one man's journey, 
we're one woman's journey, I guess, on the case of big guys. He tends to restrain himself a little bit, too. So even though this movie is about a, uh, a cross-dressing uh, B-movie director who actually thought he was making a really good movie during a plague production in that shot in black and white, I think it's a very... Um, it's not as out there as something like an Edward Scissorhands or a Nightmare Before Christmas or even a Corpse Bride. It's a, it's a more restrained Tim Burton. It's my favorite Tim Burton. Um, Big Fish has some fantastical elements to it, but it's never full-blown, over-the-top, crazy, in-your-face, weird for the sake of being weird. That's when Tim Burton's at his peak. That's when I like Tim Burton the most. Big Eyes look like it kind of had that vibe to it, too. Uh, I feel like Big Eyes, when I see it, I'm going to think is super underrated uh, because I think Big Fish is super underrated. And I know Edward has a big following, but I feel like it's a movie that I don't hear about a lot when people say they love Tim Burton and you say, what's your favorite Tim Burton movie? You're always going to get Edward Scissorhands or Nightmare Before Christmas because those are really only two of the handful of actual Tim Burton movies they've seen. Um, that's just the type of crowd that follows that man. And it's not his fault. It's a little bit his fault, but it's not his fault. So my expectations for Edward are that it's going to be probably pretty good. I mean, this is pre, uh, this is pre paycheck cashing Johnny Depp too, you know, um, like we've seen in recent years with, uh, Transcendence, Mordecai, most of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He's not doing work for paychecks. He's doing work to do work because he likes that craft. And so, uh, that's the era of Johnny Depp that everyone likes the most. It's the era of Johnny Depp that I like the most is that sort of early to mid nineties period, the Gilbert Grape, uh, Edward Scissorhands days. So I'm looking forward to this movie a lot, actually. Uh, I am actually kind of astounded I've never seen it, given the following that it has and the, the, the I guess, small but vocal and rabid uh, fan base it has. Um, it's actually the favorite movie of Jonah Ray from the Nerdist podcast. And I like that guy. So we'll see how it goes. Transitioning out of Ed Wood, uh, this week a new film with Johnny Depp opens called Black Mass. Now, if you haven't seen the trailer for it, the gist of the movie is that it's a biopic about James Whitey Bulger, the most notorious gangster in Boston's history. If you've seen The Departed, you've seen an interpretation of James Whitey Bulger because Jack Nicholson's character in that movie is based off of Whitey Bulger. And um, Depp is playing the real guy. In this movie, this is supposedly based on true events, whereas The Departed was more of a, a riff and an interpretation and really a remake of a Hong Kong movie called Infernal Affairs. This is actually based on the events surrounding his life. And um, it's getting really good early reviews. I think it looks great. Uh, the first trailer from the first trailer. Okay, let's talk about this trailer for a second. This trailer is one of the best trailers not only that I've seen in recent years, but that I've ever seen. This trailer is fantastic. Um, it revolves around one scene in the movie, and then there's a little bit of a montage, and then it wraps that one scene up, and it is used to great effect. It's used to show off perfectly what Johnny Depp is doing in this movie, and he's the star of this movie, so you need to show off your star. Um, I think a lot of what... Uh, what we are missing nowadays is showing off the star. We kind of want to hide him or her until the movie, until people get to see the movie. This one puts it full on display. It's bold. It's brash. It says, look at what Johnny Depp's doing in this movie. Come see it. And I like that. From the moment that trailer began and it's quiet, there's no music. It's just a dialogue scene. It's a dinner scene, really. It's, 
It's just two guys talking. I was intrigued. I was like, I can't believe that's Johnny Depp. I can't believe the makeup job they did on him. It looks fantastic. What's that Christopher Walken voice coming out of his face? This looks like the first time Johnny Depp's acted in half a decade. This movie looks great. Uh, and it's got an all-star cast, man. You know, you've got uh, 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 Joel Edgerton, who I like a lot, playing a an FBI guy or a congressman or whatever who's kind of in Bulger's pocket. You've got Benedict Cumberbatch playing Bulger's brother. You've got uh, Meth Damon from from Breaking Bad in this role that in the second trailer is almost unrecognizable. I couldn't believe it was the same guy. Uh, and just, this movie just looks good. And I, the whole time I, I was watching the trailer the first time, I was like, Depp's getting nominated for an Oscar. Johnny Depp is for sure getting nominated for an Oscar. And it was funny because I saw a comment when that trailer first dropped that said, he's going to win the Oscar. Or that's an Oscar-worthy performance. And some guy was like, how can you tell from a trailer? And I was like, because you can tell from that trailer. Um, this movie has give me an Oscar written all over it. But it doesn't look like Depp is screaming it the way someone like Benedict Cumberbatch did in The Imitation Game. Um, I feel like it is very much an Oscar piece for, for Johnny Depp. But I feel like it's not being made specifically for that reason, the way I felt like 95% of the Best Picture nominees last year were. It doesn't feel like Oscar bait, even though it's Oscar bait. I'm aware of it because I follow movies, but the movie looks like it has a cool energy to it. Um, the use of music in the trailers has all been really good. Once again, like I said, Depp's playing a real guy here, and he's playing it kind of over the top behind this crazy over-the-top makeup. But he's a real guy. He's got something real to connect him to. This guy existed in a world that we lived in at some point in our lives. And so Depp is using that. Depp is, is I think he's, he, that's where he really shines, is if you give him a reality to plug into, that's not fantasy all the time. If you can in, instill that sense of just like this happened into him as an actor, that's when he truly, truly shines as a, as a performer. Um, he doesn't have to hide behind the makeup. Uh, you know, a lot of the movies where he's in the crazy makeup, he kind of hides behind that. In this, he's using the makeup as a tool for his performance rather than letting the makeup use him so he can coast because he looks different than he usually does. And that's the Johnny Depp we all love, right? That's the Johnny Depp we like to see. We don't like to see whatever the hell was going on with Tonto in uh, Lone Ranger or most of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies or even Tusk, even though he's great in that movie. I think that's another movie that he just had a blast with. It looks like he's having fun with that movie, regardless of what you say about that movie and how dumb it is. I know it's dumb. I love that movie. It's about a guy who gets turned into a walrus. You're not going to see that every day. At least he did something original, kind of. It was an adaptation of a Craigslist ad. No one else is adapting Craigslist ads except for Colin Trevorrow. And now he's making super ironic tongue-in-cheek blockbuster movies that are terrible. So there you go. The whole time I've been seeing press for Black Mass. I've wondered what intrigued me about it so much. Yeah, Johnny Depp looks good in it. Yeah, it looks well directed. And then I found out that Scott Cooper directed this movie. And I said, hold up, is Scott Cooper who I think he is? And he totally is. Scott Cooper directed a movie a few years ago that won Jeff Bridges an Oscar called Crazy Heart. It also won an Americana musician named Ryan Bingham an Oscar for Best Original Song for The Weary Kind. It's a great song. I love Ryan Bingham. If you need some new music to get into, go check out Ryan Bingham. Jeff Bridges is great in Crazy Heart. But 
Scott Cooper's follow-up to Crazy Heart is this movie that stars Casey Affleck, Christian Bale, Woody Harrelson, and Willem Dafoe called Out of the Furnace, and it is criminally underseen. That movie is so good. Um, it, it's it's slow. It's methodical. It's it's tense. It's uh, it's just it's a, such a good movie. It's about uh, it's about a section of America that we don't really make movies about, but I feel like is completely fertile and rich to make movies about. It doesn't feel like uh, it, it feels gritty. It felt like a '70s family drama thriller is what it felt like. It felt like an old-school movie. Scott Cooper feels like an old-school director, even though he's only made three movies at this point. And I've liked both of the ones a lot that he's made prior to this. And it looks like this one might even be my favorite based... My favorite over Out of the Furnace. Um, If you haven't seen Out of the Furnace, go watch that movie. It's so good. You gotta meet it halfway, though. It's not a movie that you can just turn on and sit in the background. You have to actively be a participant in watching that movie, and I think that's why I liked it. It's quiet. It's slow. It's methodical. It has um, it has beautiful shot composition, but it has static shot composition. Everything looks like a moving picture. Um, obviously, a movie is a moving picture, but it looks like you took a photograph and set it in front of the lens, and then the things in the photograph started moving. It's got a very um, steady camera, a very... Um, People don't like that, but I think there's something to be said when you can just set a camera up and let the people interact in it well. And and it's still got interesting shot composition. It just doesn't have interesting camera motion. And that's fine. As long as it looks great, I'm fine with a movie that looks like a painting that has moving elements in it. I think it can be used to great effect. The American is another movie I can think of like that. Scott Cooper does this a lot. Um... Crazy Heart has kind of more of an energy about it because it's about live music performing. Out of the Furnace is more personal. Out of the Furnace is a more intimate movie. It's about um, it's about a guy dealing with his brother's addictions and his own addictions and his own checkered past and his brother's checkered past that gets him in trouble. It's it's about family. It's 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 more internal and introspective, and it's great. Um, yeah. Oh man, that's such a criminally underseen movie. I knew I was going to get on a high horse about it, but that's what Scott Cooper has done so far. I'm super excited to see what he does with someone like Johnny Depp in front of the camera and the rest of the cast. Um, you know, you've got you've got a lot of really solid people in this movie. I think I think this is going to be a pretty big Oscar nominee um, when it comes to award season. I don't know that it will win. I want to say Johnny Depp might get a Best Actor. Um, award out of this but but time will tell and it's funny because September is usually a month where studios kind of dump a lot of their movies and they, they kind of don't really uh, they don't really uh, release a whole lot of Oscar contenders in September it seems a little early but Oscar season starting way earlier this year because Star Wars has completely wrecked the schedule for the rest of the year and it, that just that amuses me to my core I think that's hilarious um, so we're going to see a lot more Oscar contenders uh, released in September and October than we ever have, which works out for me because I usually am doing a mad dash by the end of the year to watch all the Best Picture nominees, and it gets annoying, especially because we have 10 of them now. So uh, I think Black Mass is one to watch if you're into award season at all. Um, I think it's one that's going to do big business. I think it's going to do big blockbuster business. I think it's going to be great. I think Johnny Depp's going to be great in it. I think it's going to get nominated for a bunch of awards. I feel like it has a really good shot at the Golden Globes. I don't know about the Oscars so much, but I'm very much looking forward to both of these movies. I think both of them are actually going to be phenomenal, so I might be cheating myself a little bit um, 
And we'll see if those movies live up to our expectation or my expectation, not our. I'm not. Uh, disregard that. Um, I will come back at you next week with what I thought about these two movies. You can catch us on SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter, at Before and After Pod. That's at Before the letter N After Pod. Uh, before and after show at gmail.com. Let me know what your favorite Johnny Depp movie is. Let me know what your favorite Tim Burton movie is. Let me know if you think Out of the Furnace is too slow to exist. Uh, uh, just talk to me. Uh, I will read it on air, I promise. Share this with your friends. Let people know that I'm here. And and there's this crazy guy talking into a microphone alone for 50 minutes about movies. Uh, let people know that's a thing. Uh, I know you guys like guests. I like guests too. It's just been crazy to try to book and coordinate everyone's schedules with the wedding. You might get a bunch of solo episodes up through uh, the wedding, and I'm sorry about that, but you're going to be getting content. Just be happy you're getting content. Um, I love you guys. Until next time, go watch uh, Out of the Furnace. <laughs>